0: Welcome, everyone, to the Theology Central podcast. Today is Friday, December the 31st, 2021. It is currently 1137 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in Ovalo, Texas. And if you are not familiar with the Theology Central podcast, let me explain. Theology Central is here to try to make theology central to every aspect of life, whatever is going on in life, we I'm trying my best to tell people and to challenge people to look at everything from a theological perspective. I believe that one of the major issues in the church today is that so much of people, so much of the church, its perspective is not theology first, it's something else they don't look. So much of the church does not look at things from a theological perspective, but from different perspectives. And this is why I believe so much of Christianity is now almost missing and is is completely it's void of a truly Christian worldview. So many other things now dominates a Christian's perspective. So many other things has taken the place of theology. Theology was so downplayed that there was, there was a biblical illiteracy, a theological illiteracy that swept through the church, and all the efforts to try to combat it seemed to fail, and the next thing you know, you wake up and you lo- you listen to Christians talk. You listen to Christian radio, you listen to some sermons, and you're like, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like a biblical perspective. That doesn't sound like a theological perspective. That clearly doesn't sound like a Christian perspective what in the world is that? And you will realize that other things now really dominates the way Christians see the world. Let, you, let me list a number of things that are a number of ways in which I believe Christians see the world now, instead of a, that, that that these things have replaced a theological perspective. Now, some of these have always been present in some way, shape, or form. I just think in 2021, as we were getting ready to go into 2022, I think it, this has become it's become even more evident, more clear, and more dangerous than at any time because the church is really just losing any kind of a theological perspective. And when I say the church, doesn't mean every single church. Primarily, I'm focusing on the church here in the United States of America since that's where I am, and I don't know what's necessarily going on in churches outside of the United States of America. But here in the American church, I'm like, where, where is the theological perspective? Let me give you some some things that I think have replaced the theological perspective. And you know the first one I'm going to mention. I think so many Christians today see things from a political perspective. Political perspective, not a theological perspective. From a political viewpoint, not a theological viewpoint. And this becomes very detrimental biblical Christianity. Because when you have Christians start talking about anything going on in the world, you just name what's going on in the world. It can be something in regards to guns, mass shootings, immigration, war, a pandemic. And you'll listen to Christians start talking and you'll start noticing, wait a minute, that sounds very political because they, they are saying the very same things almost repeating the talking points that are being put, that, that are being put forth by people who hold to a certain political ideology so in other words those christians are repeating the political talking points they're not looking at the situation from a purely theological perspective and then here's what happens especially in 2021 going into 2022 this is just so part of our culture today you hold to a certain political ideology then you listen to things that support and reinforce said political ideology. So you find yourself almost in an echo chamber. You find yourself kind of in this bubble, right? Hey, this is my political ideology. What do I spend more time listening to? Well, that, those political, that political ideology being re- reinforced. So let's say you are conservative, Republican, you're, you're over on the right politically. What, what most likely are you going to listen to? You're going to probably listen and watch Fox News. You're going to probably listen to uh, conservative podcast podcast or or conservative radio talk show hosts like Glenn Beck, Mark Levin, Sean Hannity. You may watch Tucker Carlson, just et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You get the idea. That only reinforces your political viewpoint. So you have a, a political viewpoint. You listen to that which reinforces your political viewpoint. And then you believe bring that political viewpoint into your Christianity. And in many cases, you that political viewpoint dominates your worldview. Like you see something in the world, and and now you'll try to merge it with your Christianity. You may try to find some Bible verses to support your perspective, but it's really nothing more than a conservative right-wing. Republican political viewpoint. And the same thing can happen on the left. And so on the left, you're watching MSNBC, CNN, listening to Rachel, Rachel Maddow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which reinforces it. And then you bring that into your Christianity. So you name an issue going on in the world, listen to Christians talk, and you're like, oh, okay. So your perspective is the Fox News perspective. Your perspective is the Republican perspective. Oh, your perspective is the CNN perspective. You're the Anderson Cooper perspective. You're you're the liberal uh, right uh, liberal left wing perspective. And whenever I hear that, it just makes me depressed because it should not be po- politics first. It should be theology first. It should be the Bible first. It should be historical biblical Christianity first. But it seems like Christians are more influenced by political ideology than biblical theology. And when Christians are more influenced by political ideology than biblical theology, well, they're no longer thinking as a Christian. They're no, they're, they're, they're not, their minds have not been transformed. They, their minds have been simply conformed to the world, to the world's perspective. And so much of the church We see that over and over again. I know I say this a million times, but I'm going to continue to say it. Just download the American Family Radio app. Listen to American Family Radio at Monday through Friday from about 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Yes, you're going to get a little Christianity thrown in there, but it's going to be so infiltrated with clearly a right-leaning Republican political talking points that there are times on American Family Radio. I don't know if I'm listening to Christian Radio or I'm listening to Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, Mark Levin, Fox News, any of those any of those things on that side and it's like wait a minute, it's Christian radio. Should it not sound completely different than Republican political ideology? It should because Christianity is different from the world. It is a biblical theological perspective which is being lost every day within American Christianity. So Many see the world from a political perspective. Here's another one. This one is very, very popular. You have the political, and we'll call this a nationalistic perspective or nationalism. Now, don't don't get into a debate about, oh, well, Christian nationalism. I don't believe in Christian nationalism. Just, Just ignore that. I'm using nationalism to mean, in fact, let me just read a definition of nationalism so you'll know exactly what I'm referring to. Nationalism. Identification with one's own nation and support for its interest, especially to the exclusion or detriment of the interest of other nations. This is an American first perspective. America first, America first. Christians, it's not about America first. It's about theology first. It's not about make America great again, it's about make theology the priority again. I need to make some t-shirts, right? The- theology first. Make theology the priority again. But for many Christians, it's this uh, pro America, 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 America. What's best for America? What does what what is the American perspective? What what's best for the American interest? And so so many of of things that Christians may support has nothing to do with biblical theology. And sometimes it has something to do with America and its interests. Many times, especially when it comes to say the subject of war, many Americans will support war, the military action, invading, killing, dropping bombs, drone strikes, not on the basis of a well thought out biblical theology on the subject of war, but on what what, either A, what their political party is supporting or not supporting, or what they believe is what supports or benefits America. If it supports and benefits America, then it has to be right. That's not Christianity. Christianity doesn't go, what's best for America? What will make America great again? What will make America strong? Christianity does not look at it from what will make America great again, Christianity is what what is in obedience to the word of God, what will bring God glory, what will benefit the the Great Commission, what will further the kingdom of God, those kinds of considerations. But many Christians see things from a political point or a nationalistic approach. America first is a very common thing that many conservative Christians will say, and and, and they are very patriotism, pro-America, have an American flag in the sanctuary, American flag, you know, flying on, the, on their property. America, 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 America. And it's like, when, when did this pro-American ideology so creep into Christianity? Christianity is has nothing to do with America in that sense. It's It transcends n- national identity. It's about, you no, know, what does the Bible say? I, I know this is going to come to a shock. For some people, but America is not always right. Now I know those of you listening into uh, from other countries, you're probably like, "Wait, you have to tell Americans that they're not always right." Yes, we have to tell Americans that we're not always right because many Americans think that we all are always right. We're not always right. Okay, so uh, an American, what's best for the American interest may not be in line with Christian theology or biblical theology. What Americans are doing may not be aligned with biblical theology. We need to make America. We need to make theology the priority again. We need theology first. We need to make these shirts and sell these. Make theology the priority again. Theology first. That listen to the Theology Central podcast. I, yeah, I've got to get a plug in there for, for my podcast. Right? Okay. So, but yes, we really need to get back to this. All right. And and it's so subtle how you won't even realize that you're, you're, what you're saying is political, not theological. What you're saying is nationalistic, not theological. So people tend to look at it from a political life and things from a political perspective, from a nationalistic perspective, and from a geographical perspective. What do I mean by that? This is the most bizarre thing to me, right? A mass shooting will occur. Boom. Mass shooting. Okay. Now, People here in, say, West Texas, it's immediately like, you're not going to take my guns. How dare you? You try to. And I know I've got to say it this way. I'm not trying to mock, but it really comes across with this kind of accent. I'll try not to use the accent because that will just unnecessarily offend someone. You're not going to take my guns. Oh, we need more guns. The, the answer to these shootings is arm more people. We need more guns. We need more guns. We have the right to bear arms. I need more. And I'm going to go buy five more guns. And even churches in this local area, when something, usually right after a mass shooting occurs, they'll start doing gun giveaways. Someone uses an AR-15 and kills people. There'll be a church giving away an AR-15. And it's like, what in the world is going on? That's a geographical reaction You're raised in West Texas where everyone owns 10 guns. They probably name their kids after their guns, okay? Or they name their guns after their kids. I don't know. There's kids here who get a gun for like their fifth birthday. It's just like it's in in the geographical culture. At the same time, people say in England or other countries who are Christians will be like, what are you Christians talking about? They see it from a completely different perspective. Now, they may be looking at it more from their geographical perspective. And the people in Texas may be looking at it from their geographical perspective. But here's the issue. As Christians, whether you are a Christian in Korea or England or Australia or West Texas or America, I know Texas is in America, but Texans tend to think that Texas is its own country. But okay, you get the idea. No matter what state you live in, shouldn't the Christian perspective be the same in every country? Unless your geographical culture is determining more how you see things than your Christianity. If your geographical culture determines how you see things more than your Christianity, then your Christianity is being compromised, corrupted, and destroyed. I should not see school shootings, and my views on guns should not be determined whether I live in Texas or the UK. It should not be determined whether I live in Texas or any other state. or It it shouldn't be that way. My view should be what is a biblical perspective does that make sense so we have christians who look at the world from a political perspective from a nationalistic perspective from a geographical perspective and then from a personal perspective so we can't we can't just deny this we all have personal likes and preferences and thoughts and so many times those personal preferences are how we see the world and we may try to justify them by quoting scripture but in many cases we're just trying to impose our personal perspective on scripture, and and, and that's how we see the world. I want to make this very clear. All Christians, they may be looking at the world politically. They may be looking at the world from a nationalistic perspective. They may be looking at the world from a geographical perspective. What they have a tendency to do, they take that political, nationalistic, uh, personal, geographical, and they take that perspective and they shove it into the Bible and say see the Bible the Bible agrees with me I mean I've seen I've seen some of the weirdest ripping of verses out of context to try to support a political perspective or a nationalistic perspective or a geographical perspective or a personal perspective. We got to realize that our personal preferences are irrelevant to biblical theology. The Bible is about dying to self, denying self. Not the elevation of self. Self needs to go away. We need to make biblical theology the priority. We need to make theology the priority. We need to make theology first. Biblical theology, not your personal preference. And then last, family. Everyone was raised a certain way with certain ideas, certain philosophy, certain perspectives, and so many times we take those family perspectives, once again, shove them into the Bible, but that's how we see the world. This is all detrimental to Christianity. It's detrimental to your spiritual walk and to spiritual growth. You've got to lay aside all of these other perspectives and go, what does the Bible say? Now, you can run to the Bible and go, Whoa, wait, wait a minute, I need the Bible to justify what this, this American perspective or, or this perspective. You, no, you, go, you set aside all of those things, you look at the Bible, and whatever the Bible gives you, whatever you learn from Scripture, that becomes your worldview. Whether it agrees with your nat- nationalism, whether it agrees with your politics, whether it agrees with you personally, or whether it agrees with your family, or whether it disagrees with all of those things. Agreement or disagreement with those things is irrelevant. What do the scriptures say? What is a theological perspective? This is very, very important. Now, I bring all of this up. I know that's 18 minutes laying the foundation, but we have a situation developing in the world right now. That many Christians, and I don't know what's going to happen in 2022, but there's great concern that this situation is not going to be resolved without military conflict. There's a lot of people thinking that now. And if this turns into military conflict, this is going to be another situation where you are going to hear Christians talk about it either from a political perspective, from a nationalistic perspective, from a geographical perspective, from a personal perspective, or from a family perspective and we can't we have to stop doing that that's what that's all i've seen with the pandemic if i've heard people's politics i've heard people's nationalism i've heard their geo their geographical reasoning their personal reasoning or their family reasoning what i've seen very little of or heard very little of is true biblical theology in regards to a pandemic i've heard all of this other stuff which is demonstrates the corruption of christianity but here we go. Let's listen to this. This is what I one of the first, what well, probably the second news item I heard early this morning when I was going through all of my news podcast. Here is what I've heard in regards to Russia. Listen. You, you probably already know what's going on, but here's the latest.
1: Okay, President Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin spoke for a bit less than an hour yesterday.
2: Russia has assembled as many as 100,000 troops along its border with
0: Ukraine. Want you to hear that. Russia has gathered over 100,000 troops on its border with Ukraine. And everyone is absolutely concerned that they're going to invade. They're going to invade Ukraine. They're coming in. And when they do, what should be the reaction? How should this be responded to? What's a right way of looking at it? What's a wrong way of looking at it? But 100,000 troops, I've seen the satellite photos. It's crazy. It's crazy. You're looking at it, you're like, oh man, this does not look good. This looks like military conflict is coming. So, what do we do? What do we not do? Well, Biden is trying to find a way to resolve this. Uh, and, well, let's listen to the latest update. President Biden again warned Putin of the economic consequences for Moscow if Russian forces invade, and Putin responded that such a move by the U.S. could lead to a complete rupture of ties between the nations.
1: NPR White House correspondent Franco Ordonez has been covering this. Franco, good morning. Good morning, Steve. What did they say?
2: You know, it was a 50-minute call that a senior administration official told reporters was serious and substantive. U.S. officials say Putin didn't offer any signs of whether he's going to invade. But, you know, he's repeatedly made clear of his concerns about security, as well as NATO and Western allies encroaching on his borders. You know, Biden offered two possible paths forward, the official said. One is focused on diplomacy that leads to some kind of de-escalation. And the other is about deterrence and the serious consequences should Russia decide to take action.
1: We're, of course, trying to figure out what was said in a call that we didn't hear. So, what did the Russians say about it
2: afterward? Yeah, the Kremlin had their own readout of the call, and of course, that can sometimes divert from what the White House says. But Russian officials described the call as good and frank, but they also said that Putin warned Biden that more economic sanctions would be a huge mistake and could lead to a complete rupture of relations. But both leaders did acknowledge that there are areas where meaningful progress can be made, as well as some other areas where agreements may be impossible.
1: There is a lot here that seems to be implied. Uh, Russia has massed these troops but said, well, they're on our territory. We're not doing anything. They're thought to have demands, but it's not seen as particularly specific what the demands are. Is there any indication that Moscow is looking for a
2: diplomatic way out of this? Well, each side is highlighting possibilities for progress. But again, actions kind of speak louder than words. And Sarah, as Sarah did say, there are tens of thousands of troops on the Ukraine border. And U.S. officials say they've seen no significant signs of de-escalation. I spoke with Samuel Cherp, who is a top Russia advisor in the Obama administration and is now at the Rand Corporation. You know, he's not that optimistic.
0: I don't yet see a pathway out of this where everyone can go home and uh, there's no (laughs) conflict. It seems clear to me that Putin is not willing to take away the threats until he gets something. And uh, if he doesn't get something, he seems prepared to act.
2: Putin also faces some domestic challenges. You know, Matthew Rajansky is the director of the Kennan Institute. He points to Putin's own words about the deep heritage and history that Russia has with Ukraine as a reason to be together. By that very same token, the prospect of going to war to force something on such a close neighbor is not very attractive for the majority of Russians. And again, I think Putin has to understand that. He is a savvy enough politician in Russia that he's probably reading those tea leaves. And if Russian lives are lost in the process, he says that could be very damaging to Putin. You know, I was talking through this
1: whole process yesterday with my 16-year-old because she was asking, what is it like when two presidents talk to each other and why do they even do that and how do they make progress that way? Uh, And I had a little difficulty answering, so help me out here. Help her out here. Where do the talks go from here, Franco?
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot of this call was focused on future dialogue. And the two sides are going to meet again on January 10th in Geneva, where they'll hold security talks. And there's going to be a lot more talks going forward. So you can expect a lot of strategy sessions ahead.
1: Constant conversation. NPR White House correspondent Franco Rodonez, thanks so much.
0: There you have it. We got over 100,000 troops just waiting. How long do they wait? What's going to happen? There's, there's nothing but speculation right now. There's nothing. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that January the 11th, January the 12th, January the 15th, somewhere in January, boom, Russia goes in and there is death, there is destruction, people are dying, there's a military conflict. Now, what do we do? Well, when anytime there's military conflict, anytime there is the idea of war, we have to stop what we're doing and thinking about it, again, not from a political perspective, not from a nationalistic perspective, not from a personal perspective, not, not from uh, your family perspective, not from any other perspective, but from a biblical theological perspective. And in church history, whenever war is discussed, a doctrine has been used to try to figure out How do we view war? When do we view war as justified? When do we view war as not justified? When should we support it? When should we not support it? And it has nothing to do with nationalism or politics. It has trying to understand war in light of the Bible and theology. What is a Christian perspective? A Christian perspective of war is not America first. It is, wait, is the war just, it is called the just war theory, just war doctrine, or you could even say, I know it's not typically referred to this in church history, but I like to refer it to this way, especially in light of everything that I've said so far in this podcast episode, just war theology. I'll give you a little bit of background, just a little bit of background, a little bit of idea. Just war theory, the just war theory is a doctrine also referred to as a tradition of military ethics, which is studied by military leaders and theologians uh, and policymakers. The purpose of the doctrine is to ensure that a war is morally justifiable through a series of criteria, all of which must be met for a war to be considered just. Now, what, has driven me absolutely crazy. Basically, my entire time as a Christian is anytime a military conflict is happens and Amer- Americans are involved. I will hear Christians say things, usually Christian men, that are absolutely some of the most abhorrent, horrific, horrible things that I've ever heard. And I'm, but nobody in the church seems to blink an eye. In other words, there'll be something going on in the Middle East, and you'll hear some Christian man. many cases, not even in the military, saying something like, you know what we need to do? We need to go over there and turn that whole place into a parking lot. We just need to go over there and just bomb it. Just blow everything up. That'll fix all the problems. And I'm just looking at them, like I'm standing in the sanctuary, looking at them going, so you're not a Christian, right? You're, you're, You're not, because no Christian would ever say anything that horrible about eliminating are laying basically bare a place where human beings who are creating the image of God exist. That's not just. That's not Bible. That's not theology. That's your male ego. I don't know what garbage is that. It, this is not a video game. It's not an action movie. These are human beings. But I I'll hear Christian men. It's usually Christian men just say some of the most absolutely, it's like they're they're, you know, in seventh grade trying to talk you know, big or bad on the playground. And it's like, what in the world is going on? That's absolutely horrific things to say. And so in many cases, I'll just kind of go, well, so how do you think, and I'll sometimes may say something like this, how do you think the current conflict fits in with the just war doctrine. And typically I'll get a, a glazed look over like, I don't know what you're talking about. I just know that America's, America needs to go over there and blow everybody up. Okay, well, okay, great. Thank you, thank you. I'm gonna go talk to, I don't know, maybe the teenagers. The teenagers probably have a better theological perspective than the adults, okay? Even, yeah, because they probably, <laughs> maybe they're not so foolish to say such absolutely ridiculous things. Or sadly, in many cases, you have to t- find the women in the church who may actually sound more theological than the men who just sound like they're, they they want to be Rambo or Arnold Schwarzenegger. I know those are dated action references, but you get the idea. They want to be they want to sound like they're coming from an action movie, and you're like, stop it, okay? We're, this is church. We should talk. Maybe you're a Christian. We should. Th- I know I'm gonna I'm gonna make a lot of men upset, but sometimes men say things that just absolutely I just don't get what in the world they're talking about. But here we go. So the purpose of the doctrine is to ensure that a war is morally justifiable through a series of criteria of which all must be met for a war to be considered just. So you got to know the criteria. You got to see if the criteria has been met. Then you can say, okay, this war is just. Therefore, I can support it or think that it's acceptable the criteria are split into two groups and just so that you know now that some people think there should be three groups which the third group is very controversial but there's at least two main groups the right to go to war and the right conduct in war so the right conduct to go to so in other words okay is it right to go to war that's the first thing you have to determine based off these circumstances is it right to go to war in this situation. And then once you say it's right to go to war, then you argue as a Christian for right conduct in that war. Now, I'm going to get it's going to get very controversial. Let's say we're fighting a war on terror. We're on a battlefield and we suspect someone of some kind of terrorism. We grab them. We put a hood over their head. We take them to a, a, some dark site, some dark site somewhere where nobody knows where they are. We they don't have no rights. We waterboard, do some some things would be just classified as torture to an individual. Then we may lock them up, keep them somewhere for four, five, six, seven, eight, ten years. They have no way to defend themselves. We don't even really make any official charges, and we just hold them there for a very long time. Is that right conduct in war? N- not from, don't take your theology, don't take your perspective from nationalism, don't take it, take it from a Christian perspective. All right, these, these are questions that we all have to have. The first group of criteria concerns the morality of going to war. So first you've got to determine, is it moral to go to war in that particular situation? Then, The second group of criteria concerns the moral conduct within war. There has been calls for the inclusion of a third category of just war dealing with the morality of post-war settlement and reconstruction, right? The just war theory postulates the belief that war, while it is terrible, but less so with the right conduct, is not always the worst option, right? Now, there's a lot more I could read. There, there, there's been lots of different kind of ideas of just war doctrines going back to ancient Egypt. We, we, we go a lot of different places. But for, for within Christianity, the Christian theory of just war uh, begins around the time of Augustine. The just war theory with some amendments is still used by Christians today as a guide to whether or not a war can be justified. Now, I'm going to argue against this. I do agree that Augustine is where it really, for Christians, it's really kind of where it begins for the Christian perspective. But um, when it says it's used by Christians today, I think it's garbage. Most Christians don't use the just war theory. They don't even know what it is. They couldn't even articulate the basic criteria for it. Most Christians justify war based off their nationalistic and political perspectives. All right? right. So the just war theory, I'm going to say, should be used by Christians today as a guide to whether or not war can be justified. War may be necessary and right, even though it may not be good. In the case of a country that has been invaded by an occupying force, war may be the only way to restore justice. And then I could go into some of the things St. Augustine referred to as a St. Augustine has said throughout church history in regards to this subject but it's the Just War Doctrine. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of more information about the Just War Doctrine. And one of the places we have to turn to, well, we don't have to turn here. We can get these same principles elsewhere, but since they're just so well articulated and laid out for us, it would be foolish for us to just ignore it. And that is the Catholic Catechism. Obviously, I don't agree with everything in the Catechism, but they clearly lay out the Just War Doctrine. Now, what many will do is like, oh, that's that Catholic stuff. This goes back to Augustine, all right? This goes back early in church history. The issue is the Catholic Church has continued to preserve and put forth the just war doctrine, while many others, especially within the Protestant world, has abandoned it, ignored it, or ignorant of it, and then when they speak of war, Well, they don't sound like Christians. They sound like something other. I've talked about it before. I was a teenager, brand new Christian. I walk in. I think it was a Wednesday night service. It may have been a Sunday night service. I think it had to be a Wednesday night service. Walk in, First Baptist Church, Tuscola, Texas. The pastor stands up from the pulpit and announces that Reagan had just launched, I think, airstrikes, I think into Beirut. I can't remember where. And everyone in the church stood up. Started applaud, applauding, and I left. I'm like, we're going to applaud the use of military force, and I, I believe people died, and people died. What are we applauding? The death of human beings, creating the image of God? That I thought you said that if they're not Christians, they die and go to hell, and we're applauding that? No, 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 no. This, this is a bunch of garbage. And I, I, I was so ticked off. I Christians are insane people. They're insane. They like they celebrate war. They celebrate people dying. Like I, I never will understand the way some Christians talk when it comes to war. It is sometimes the most, I'm like I, I, of, of people who are supposedly pro-life who believe that people are creating the image of God, who believe that people die and go to spend an eternity in hell. What their, their attitudes toward, towards war in many cases calls into question their pro-war stance, their uh, pro-life stance, I should say. uh, It doesn't call into question their pro-war stance, calls into question their pro-life stance and really makes me think that they don't really believe that people go to hell or they believe a lot of people, they just want to, they have no problem with something sending a lot of people to hell. I don't know what in the world they think. It's sometimes I'm just absolutely like, I don't belong within Christianity. This is just craziness, the way people act. But we're gonna pull up, I've got right here, a physical copy of the catholic catechism all right and we're going to look at this now the basis one of the the real basis for the just war doctrine is really two i think i'm I, I think this is fair to say this may be an oversimplification two very key verses the first one is exodus chapter 20 verse 13 thou shalt not Kill. Thou shall not kill. Now, some people said that should be translated, thou shall not murder, but it's the, we we should be opposed to the taking of human life or the unnecessary taking of human life. However you want to word it, we should be, that should be a very much, should shape our conscience and shape our thinking, is thou shall not kill, thou shall not murder. Okay, war requires the killing of people. Hmm. Okay. Now, is it always wrong? Well, we're, we would argue that it's not always wrong, even in the Bible, there there is military conflict. So it's not always wrong. So then when is it right? And another one, another passage that really gets brought up a lot is Romans well, chapter 13. Here we go. We're back to Romans 13, the, the, the chapter that's always debated in these days and age. All right, Romans chapter 13, let every soul be subject unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever resisteth, who, whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive the, to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee, for good, but if thou do that which is evil, uh, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon them that doeth evil. This is the idea that, yes, we're not to kill. However, government has the sword to execute wrath upon those who do evil. They have the sword. This gives them the authority from a biblical perspective to carry out some kind of possible war or military action or punishment with the use of the sword, which is obviously an instrument that will bring about bodily harm and death, right? So, those two verses become very key in trying to shape a perspective. So, here is page 555 of the Catholic Catechism, Paragraph 2307, and you're going to get a kind of a, an understanding of the just war doctrine. Here we go. The commandment forbids the intentional destruction of human life. Thou shall not kill. Because of the evils and injustices that uncomp- that accompany all war, the church insistently urges everyone to prayer and to action so that the divine goodness may free us from the ancient bondage of war. Bottom line is, we should do everything in our power to avoid war. We should not want it, we should not celebrate it, we should not be glad for it. We should want to avoid it at all cost. That should be the Christian perspective. The Christian perspective shouldn't be some Christian man going, "Why, well, we should just go over there and blow them all up." Stop this. Stop it, Christian men. Stop acting like that. When you talk like that, you're disqualified from speaking about anything ever again because you're not acting like a Christian man. You're acting like a junior high boy trying to talk big and bold and and like, I don't know, tough. There's nothing great about it. There's nothing godly about it. All right, and I have to say that because I hear too many Christian men say just absolutely outrageous things, but hey, that's okay. No, that, that's not a sin. That's not a sin. That's not a sin, I guess, in, within Christianity anymore all citizens and all governments are obliged to work for the avoidance of war as a christian your perspective is no to war at all cost right that's what that's what you should your your well, put it this way your your standard position should be no to war do everything you can to say no to war to 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 argue for the avoidance of war At everything possible. Now, I'm not saying that there doesn't come a time where that has to change, but that's your that's the position you stand with first. Is no, I I don't, I don't want war. No, I'm I'm against this war. No, I don't support this war. No, I'm not in favor of this war. Now, right, I got to say this because someone's going to email me and go, you liberal, you commie, you you socialist, you garbage, you don't care about your country. Just back off before you start emailing me. 19 years wearing the uniform, almost died because of what happened to me in regards to anthrax. Two years working as a civilian contractor. I think I've supported... The military quite well in my time as as an adult and as a as, as a person in the United States of American military. So I think you can just be careful before you start making those absolutely foolish claims. Because I'm always always get emails when I talk about this. Now, yes, when I joined the military, I was gravely concerned about. Well, wait a minute. What do we get into a military conflict? What are going to be my choices? What do I do if I'm looking at it from a just war perspective? So I said, nope. I'm going to go in as medical. I'm going to go in as medical because then my job is to preserve life, to protect life. And my job is to preserve and protect life, whether of a military, an American military member or an, an enemy combatant. I'm still to provide and render medical care, no matter who they are. We're, we rend, render medical care and we don't care what flag they have on their, their arm. It's about human beings preserving and protecting life. That, so I'm like, that's that's where I wanna be. I want to be in, in doing something like that, not the taking and 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 killing of human beings. I'm gonna go in it from a more of a medical perspective. So that's where I went in. Now, yes, I did get pulled from the medical world and ended up carrying an M16 and I Had to carry a gun when I was security forces, and I had to do that for a very long time. But I was never as deployed as security forces to be involved in a, in a military con- a conflict. When I was deployed, it was for medical. Uh, it was for, in a medical capacity, setting up a hospital uh, to take care of wounded troops. That's what uh, we did. So I went in it from that perspective, very much because I was concerned of how how do I handle war. How do I handle this this subject? Trying to understand my, now my Christianity was not near as mature as it should have been, but I, I didn't know the just war doctrine back then. I didn't really have a complete understanding of it. I knew some of it, but I didn't really understand it. But I knew this. People are creating the image of God. People die and go to hell. I don't want anyone to die. Right? So I just kind of like war is not a good thing. People die, people suffer. War may be necessary. So our 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 standard position is well, can we avoid it? Now, as they continue the 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 Catechism continues, page five fifty six. However, as long as the danger of war persists, and there is no international authority with the necessary competence and power, governments cannot be denied the right of lawful self defense once all peace. Efforts have failed. So the catechism argues, and the just war doctrine says, there can come a time where war may be necessary. It's not what you want, but it may be necessary. And in some cases, just war doctrine may argue, the the action of war may be better than the uh, the non-action. In other words, in some cases, if you don't go to war, there may be more loss of life, more suffering, and more damage. So sometimes war may be the only necessary way in order to stop that loss of life and the suffering. Even though it's going to create its own loss of life, it still may turn out to be better than if you did nothing. So right there, they they argue that there is a a possible time and right to do so. Paragraph uh, uh, 2309. The strict conditions for legitimate defense by military force requires rigorous consideration. The gravity of such a decision makes it subject to rigorous conditions of moral legitimacy at one and the same time. Because of how, how serious military conflict is, we have to give it the most careful consideration on whether we're going to justify and, and support it or whether we're going to speak against it. And it has not, listen, it has nothing to do with nationalism, it has nothing to do with politics. It is based off moral considerations. I will say it this way, theological considerations. It's not like, well, I support my president. He wants to go blow up that country. I'm all for it. No, it's nothing about the the, the red, white, and blue. It's not about go America. no. It's the gravity of such decision makes it subject to rigorous conditions of moral legitimacy. Rigorous conditions of moral legitimacy. I will say rigorous because they, they use two terms, rigorous consideration and rigorous conditions of moral legitimacy. We have to give it rigorous consideration and we base it off rigorous conditions of moral Legitimacy or theological legitimacy. The damage, all right, inflicted by the aggressor on the nation or community of nations must be lasting, grave, and certain. So the first thing you consider is okay, here's the aggressor. They are going to inflict on this nation or this community some damage that's going to be lasting. That's going to be grave, and it's absolutely certain they're going to do it. All right, well, now we've got Russia. They've amassed over 100,000 troops on the border of Ukraine. If they go in, what kind of pain, what kind of suffering are they going to inflict? What will the loss of life look like? How bad will it be? How lasting will it be? That's one of the things you start considering before you say yes I'm no I'm we we need to go in and 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 stop Russia or or what what we have to consider some of these issues right the damage inflicted by the aggressor on the nation or community of nations must be lasting grave or certain Not, next all other means of putting an end to it must have been shown to be impractical or ineffective in other words you've got to demonstrate that you've done everything in your power to resolve this from happening, all right. Now, give you an example. Hey, Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. We've got to go in and invade this country to stop it. Now, I will argue. I mean, well, I did argue. There are no weapons of mass destruction there. What are you talking about? We we are not. We devastated the country. There's no way that they have now these stockpiles of weapons of mass destruction. They do not present a clear and present danger. We, we need to continue to, to do what we can to verify and determine, because if we don't, when we go in, we're going to inflict more pain and more suffering and more death than they have any danger of putting forth, because there are no weapons of mass destruction there. I was opposed to that war, completely opposed to that war, got myself in trouble in a number of military briefings because I called into question what we were being told. I'm like, there are no weapons there. I guarantee you there's no weapons there. And well, it, there were no weapons there. We controlled the airspace over Iraq forever. There's no way that, that, that what we were being told was accurate. There's just no way it was accurate. And uh, well, it wasn't. So, um, so we, could we have looked at other possible ways of verifying before just going in and laying waste to everything, causing all the death and destruction that we did? Right. So we look for all other means of putting an end to it. That, that we, we've demonstrated that we've used ever, up everything we can do. None of them are any more practical, and they've been ineffective. There must be a ser- this must there must be serious prospects of success. In other words, if you're going to go in. There's got to be a serious prospect that here's the objective, here's what we're going to do, and we can succeed in doing that. It can't be we're just going to go in, we don't really know what we're going to do, we don't know how long we're going to be there, and we don't even know what success looks like. No, because that draws out the military conflict, so more people suffer, more people die, and in many cases, you end up doing more damage than good. You've got to know what is your agenda, what is your goal, what is success, and how are you getting out? If you don't, you just like, well, we're going to go in and just, I don't know, stay for 20 years, spend 20 billion, zillion, trillion dollars. Who knows how many people suffer? Hey, and then we're going to leave whenever we feel like it. Yeah, I, I could talk about a lot of those kinds of situations. All right. Um, the use of arms must not produce evils and disorders graver than the evils to be eliminated. So you're like, okay, this is the evil we have to eliminate. But if you're going to use weapons that's going to produce more evil and more disorder than the one you're trying to eliminate, then you're, then you're bringing in a greater evil, evil than the one you're trying to eliminate. If you're trying to eliminate an evil, you don't bring in more evil to do so. The power of modern means of destruction weighs very heavily in evaluating this condition. These are the traditional elements enumerated in what is called the just war doctrine. The elevation, the evaluation of these conditions for moral legitimacy belongs to the prudential judgment of those who have responsibility for the common good. Public authorities in this case have the right and duty to impose on citizens the obligations necessary for national defense. Those who are sworn to serve the country and the armed forces are servants of the security and freedom of nations if they carry out their duty honorably and truly contribute to the common good of the nation and the maintenance of peace. All right, so... Uh, The church and human reason both assert the permanent validity of the moral law during the armed conflict. The mere fact that war has regrettably broken out does not mean that everything becomes licit between the warring parties. In other words, the Christian perspective is, okay, war is happening, but the moral law is still in place. How you treat people is still in place. There's still a moral obligation within it. That's the Christian perspective non-combatants, wounded soldiers, and prisoners must be respected and treated humanely. Now, I know you watch action movies and you're like, oh, that's it, go in, torture that person, get that information. But the Christian perspective is no, enemy combatants must be treated in a humane way. And people say, well, what is this? This is not, it's not the Girl Scouts, it's the military. We go in and rough them up. Uh, That's not, that's not the Christian perspective. Actions deliberately contrary to the law of nations and to the universal principles are crimes as as are the orders that command such actions. Blind obedience does not suffice to excuse those who carry them out. Thus, the extermination of a people, nation, or ethnic minority must be condemned as a mortal sin. One is morally bound to resist the orders that command genocide. Like there's some orders that are not moral. And if you're in the military, you may have to stand against such orders and face the consequence and the punishment that arises from within. If the order is not moral and right and and goes against and any well goes even against the laws that we're supposed to follow. with, say the Geneva Convention. If they're violating the Geneva Convention, then you don't have you have a moral obligation to stand against it. They're not even following the laws which they are supposed to be operating from. I'm not saying you go in there with your own laws and say, "Hey, you got to follow my laws." No, in this case, the Geneva Convention laws would be things that you would have to pay attention to. Now, there's a lot more here. A lot more here. And I would challenge you to look it up. Um, it starts on in paragraph 2307 and goes to paragraph, well, really it goes to down to uh, paragraph 2330, 23, 2330. So it goes from 2307 to 2330 in the Catholic Catechism. You can find it online. You can look at it, read it. And allow that to at least be a, a good starting point when we're when we're dealing with these kinds of situations. Because once again, here's what happens. How many Christians do you think spent considerable amounts of time meditating and thinking on what a theological and biblical response would be for a pandemic? How much teaching did you ever hear that in church? Hey, if a pandemic ever breaks out, here is our moral and biblical responsibility, not only to ourselves, to the community, to our neighbors, to our enemies. Here's, here are the things that we should be willing to do. Here is our moral obligation. You never heard any teaching on that. So then what happens? A pandemic happens, boom. And then next thing you know, what do you start hearing? You start hearing political perspectives, you start hearing nationalism perspectives. You start hearing geographical perspectives. You start hearing all of these perspectives that are not biblical, theological, because the church did not prepare people to think about a pandemic from a biblical and theological perspective, because we don't ever prepare people. So guess what? Then they get tossed to and fro with every philosophy and doctrine out there. that The church always so what so frustrates me so much about Christianity is we do very little being proactive. We are always reactive, right? We're always reactive. Like It's always like, wait, wait, that's wrong. It's like, well, why weren't we talking about that before it happened? Why weren't Christians told, hey, during a pandemic, here's some basic principles that would apply and how to conduct, how to view this. But no, 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 no. We didn't do that. So guess who won? Politicians won. That's what one, Political views one. That's why the church is very much divided along the same divisions that are within the culture when it comes to the pandemic. Why? Because many in the church look at it from the Republican Fox News perspective and others view it from a more left-leaning perspective and it divides the church. Where we shouldn't be looking at it from right or left, we should be looking at it from a biblical theological one. It's just so bizarre to me how the church never has people prepared. Christians should be prepared in how to understand war. They should have the just war doctrine down. Christian young people need to be taught the just war doctrine. But we don't prepare our people. And then when when things happen in the culture... Church doesn't react biblically because nobody in the church has been trained to think biblically about these possible situations. Pandemic, war, you name name the the situation. And there you have it. That's the just war doctrine. Think about how that applies possibly to the situation with Russia and Ukraine. Russia would be the aggressor. They would be going and invading another country. How much suffering they would inflict Th- those are things to consider. And then if we were to go in and try to stop them, what kind of e- what kind of damage, pain, suffering and evil would that incur upon well the civilians trapped in the middle of it? What would be our view of success? Could what, What's our p- potential of, of driving them back out of Ukraine, back uh, into their 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 border? What What would what would be the what would be the way to handle it? Now, is, is it always easy? No, it's not always easy. Are the decisions sometimes very difficult? Yes. There are times to me I, I, it, it seems easy. Like the whole invading in Iraq thing I thought was the most, I, to this day, I don't even know why anybody ever supported that nonsense. That was horrific. And what did we do? We, got, You know how many civilians died in Iraq because of our, go look it up crazy amount of people suffered and then after we broke everything then next thing you know sectarian violence broke out chaos erupted in iraq then you have the formation of isis we can go on and on and on and all of the horrible things look at look at afghanistan right now we went in look at all the things i mean look that, that situation completely fell apart you there's sometimes you're like we created more evil than the evil we eliminated then, then that become, falls out of the range of just war doctrine. You say, but, but I'm pro-America. Be, be pro-biblical theology. Doesn't mean you can't be grateful for your country. Doesn't mean you can't love your country as long as the love of God is obviously greater and your dedication to a biblical worldview is more important. But th- these are serious situations that Christians need to be better informed on, better prepared to deal with. These things must be discussed more in the pulpit. They must become more a part of discipleship, especially when you have things going on in the culture that gives you the ability to go. So you're a Christian, look at what's going on over here. I remember when the Syrian civil war was going on, I had so many discussions about this. People view, sometimes their views, I'm just, what are you talking about? But you can say, "Here's the situation. Now, what is a biblical what is a biblical view of that situation?" And then, if they can't articulate it, then it's your responsibility to go. Well, let's discuss this thing called the just war doctrine. You ever hear of Augustine? No. Well, Augustine was a very important church father, and he really helped formulate the the just war doctrine. And it's kind of based off well, Exodus 20 and Romans 13. And let's. Let's try to see how this works. Are you, is it going to be like easy to figure out all of the answers? No, but at least gives them a biblical framework. If you don't give them the biblical framework, they're going to view it from a political, nationalistic, geographical, personal family perspective. And that's what we see within Christianity. All right. You can email me all of your disagreements to newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this was beneficial. I hope this challenges people to think because I have a very, I have a feeling. Now, feelings are not accurate representations of, of, of reality, but I have a feeling that in 2022, we're gonna have to, once again, have our perspective about war really defined because we're going to see some really crazy things happening in the world around us. And we can start right there with Russia possibly invading Ukraine. And what will America do? Now, hopefully those troops, over 100,000 troops withdraw and and get away from the border and everything can be resolved through diplomatic means. I hope so. I hope so. I think January the 10th is I think when they meet, I think that will be the, the, that's going to give us the answer. I think that's going to give us the answer. And, uh, well, we need a Christian perspective. All right, I'll stop right there. Thanks for listening. God bless.